I've got a confession to make. I'm a lousy fisherman. I mean, if there's somewhere where you can get the knack for fishing, I haven't got it. My dad, my brother, my wife, even my kids, they're all better at fishing than I am. I mean, I'm just terrible. There is no luck for me when we go fishing. I mean, in my last, you know, sort of significant fishing endeavor, I went out with our extended family and uh, my brother lived on a lake that had this great fishing spot. And so we loaded up the boat and it was my wife Amy, my dad, my brother, and my sister-in-law. And we headed out uh, to the perfect spot and we made sure we had the right lures on. And everyone started casting and left, right, and center, everyone was catching something. The problem was everyone was getting fish and I was catching lakeweed. And, and so, you know, as we went along, I just sort of tolerated it until this moment where we all took a chance going to a different spot. And I got kind of excited. I figured, at least I'm going to get a, a nibble. I, I'm in the hot spot. And as I casted, absolutely nothing. But someone right behind me who was in the spot I was just in on their first cast caught a fish. I mean, it was enough to drive me mad. I was ready to jump out of the boat and swim for the lake shore. I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that I like driving boats, I like eating snacks, and I like talking to people, I would not have stayed. But, you know, I can get along on those few things. But if for some reason there had been someone on the shore who said, hey, come here, I got something interesting for us to do, I would for sure be there as fast as I could. Today we're going to look at an encounter in Scripture that happens between Jesus and a group of fishermen. I mean, unlike me, these guys could really fish. This wasn't just a hobby, it was a career, it was their livelihood. And so what happens in this story becomes quite a significant deal. Jesus comes and says, hey, I want you to leave this job of fishing and come and follow me. If you've got your Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 18 to 25, and we're going to stay there throughout our time together, so make sure you open up and read along with me. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 25. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness amongst the people. News about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, like those suffering with severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. 
So here we have in verse 18, Jesus is walking alongside the Sea of Galilee, which is this sort of huge lake in the region. And as he walks along, he encounters a couple pairs of brothers. The first pair, Simon, who will be known as Peter and his brother, Andrew. And as he sees them, he calls them to come join him. In the Gospel of Matthew, this is our first encounter into the the inner workings between Jesus and his first followers. But if we were to look elsewhere in Scripture, for instance, in the book of John, we would see what seems like an earlier call. I bring that up because I know some of you might be wrestling with that and wondering about the timeline of how things happen in Scripture. And so I want to just stop and kind of get that off the table so we can look a little bit deeper. For some people, this idea of Jesus calling, calling his first disciples is, is a tension point. Like I said, they see sort of this difference in terms of how things happen chronologically, and they go, well, there's no way that this could be true. Or maybe they just wrestle with, like, how does the Bible work if it falls in, in different places? But for me, this isn't a problem that should be a huge barrier for us. What if... Jesus had called some of his disciples and they had gone and followed him for a time and then returned to their lives. What if they had followed him and said, hey, that's sort of where we're comfortable going and we're going to go back to what we know and what we love. And then here in Matthew, they get called again. Now, I don't know if that's for certain what happened, but it seems to me like that is a very logical explanation for this. And to me, that's not really all that shocking. I mean, these are real people in a real time and real place which aren't all that different from us. I mean, people are people, right? I mean, how many of us have followed Jesus for a time and then we've sort of kind of slowed down in our walk with him? How many of us have followed him for years and then had periods of apathy or being unintentional or maybe downright rebellion against what God wants for our lives? We shouldn't be surprised by these kind of things taking place in the lives of those who first followed Jesus. I mean, Scripture is absolutely a theological text which tells us about all the big things of God, but in it is also contained real history. And so as I look at that, I say, hey, that's not a big problem for me because I can see how that would play out in the life of the disciples. But either way, however it happened, we see that Jesus is walking along and he comes up to these two brothers and he says, hey, come and follow me. Right there in in verse 19, it's clear as day. I want you to stop what you're doing and I will send you from being fishers of fish to fishers of people. And this is not really an extraordinary day that this is taking place, but of course an extraordinary event. I mean, this is nothing unusual to see a couple brothers out fishing, tossing their nets. They live in this town called Bethsaida, which you could almost translate as fish town, this community that sits on the water and is supported by these flourishing fisheries. There's a whole bunch of things going on. These brothers are just out and about doing their thing and along comes a traveling teacher and he arrives and calls them. And then as they continue on down the walk, we'll see that Jesus calls James and John, two other brothers. 
Simon and Andrew are out throwing their nets, which were probably these big circular nets they would use to catch fish with. And these big circular nets would have these weights and they would just stand there on the seashore or maybe a boat just out in the water and they would throw them and I would wrap around the fish. They'd haul it up into the boat and they would do that all day long. James and John were mending their nets, which tells us that they were probably fishermen who fished on a boat because during the day was the time to mend nets when at night they would load up these nets between two boats and kind of set sail and catch as many fish along the way as they could. But an ordinary day until all of a sudden Jesus says, stop what you're doing, come and follow me. I don't want you to be fishers of fish. I want you to be fishers of of people. Now for some of you, depending on the translation you have, you might read Jesus say, come and follow me and I will send out you to be fishers of men. So when you hear this word people, all that's happening here is we're translating the Greek word for us and that Greek word of men actually refers to both men and women. But in the great sense, Jesus is saying, I want you to come with me to try to catch people all the people who I love, irregardless of who they are. And we've, as we saw last week and we see this week, there's just as this breaking down of stereotypes. Jesus is calling these people who are not religious leaders to go fish after some other people who don't fit sort of the stereotypical mold. Last week we saw that Jesus comes for the whole world, both Jew and Gentile. And here he uses the obscure people to catch both men and women. And in Jesus' day, that would be sort of a shocking thing because you'd always be targeting just the men from a religious perspective. But we have this great thing going on. Jesus brings this command to these guys and they choose to obey him. And what I love is that Matthew has been setting up for us all the way through this, this journey through his book that we've started so far, this picture of how God has come to do something particularly different. Matthew wrote to a Jewish audience, and so this term that he uses for being a fisher of people would, would trigger something in their minds. To us, it seems like he's just kind of making a pun. He's just talking in the context of, of what's going on and saying, hey, you're, you're fishing for one thing, but I want you to come fish for another. But to a good student of Jewish uh, understanding and faith, Matthew would have a reader go, wait, 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 did he say fishermen? And that's because in Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 16, God said something. He said, but now I will send for many fishermen, declares the Lord, and they will catch them. After that, I will send for many hunters, and they will hunt them down on every mountain and hill and from every crevice of the rocks. And out of context, that might seem a little bit of a strange way for God to talk about doing something with his people. But what's happening here is God is preparing people to get his people, the Israelites, ready for exile. And so there's this time where the people of God are taken away from where God has established his kingdom up until that point, and they've kind of been scattered. And here what happens is Jesus has come, and he's saying, now I am collecting fishermen together, and instead of preparing them to be scattered, I'm preparing them to come in. 
Jesus is bringing about sort of a full circle of what God wants to accomplish. This is fulfilling a plan that God has had for a long time that his people would go away because they've sort of walked away from him, but at the right time, his chosen one would come to bring all of his people back into his kingdom. When we look last week, we we read about in in chapter 4, verse 17, where Jesus said, My message is for you to repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so what Jesus is doing is he's saying, I've got a message for us to go out and cast out into the world. And from there, I want to bring my people in to my kingdom. And so I think there's this beautiful picture here of, of God's plan at work. And it's so easy for us to miss it. But Jesus is going, guys, I want you to come with me to go doing the, to do the fishing that God wants to see accomplished. And so what do we see? These guys stop. They just drop their nets and appear to just go right in the moment. And actually, that becomes a point of pride for Simon later on. Simon later gets known as Peter. And we see uh, later on in the book of Matthew, there will be a moment where, where he goes, you know what, guys, look at me. I'm pretty proud of the fact that I obeyed Jesus so quickly. And so we know that clearly Peter or Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, they obeyed really quickly. We see that James and John obeyed really quickly. And then what did they do? They didn't sit around and talk about it, but they went out and immediately started doing the ministry. We read about this in verse 23 to 25. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, and we can assume that his disciples are following him here because of the progression of how the text works. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness amongst the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering from severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Tells us that because of this, large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the regions across the Jordan followed him. So with these disciples in tow, Jesus goes out into the region and he begins to teach. And he's bringing this message, repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and he's showing how that is reality. And we see that out of his authority and empowered by the Holy Spirit, he begins to heal people. And he begins to cast out demons from those who are possessed. And he has this huge impact I mean, remember last week when I talked about how we should pay attention to the geography? This, again, is one of those moments. I mean, we read about how large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan all come together. If you were to look at this map that I have, you'll see a little red dot. That little red dot is the town of Bethsaida, where we know that Simon and Andrew are from. And, and, and look at the arrows. Look how far they go. We see that people come from the north, from the Roman-controlled Syria. They come from the east, from the Decapolis and across the Jordan. They come from the south and the west, from Jerusalem and Judea. Jesus' impact is going everywhere. And here, once again, Jesus models for us what it looks like to be a fisher of men and what the power of the kingdom of God can accomplish 
And so he comes to reveal his message, but he reveals it in a tangible way and he invites his disciples along with him. Now, typically, if we left this as sort of a Sunday school level story, we would sit there and just use this as a moment to say, wow, God, and, and we should say, wow, God. I mean, it's incredible what Jesus does. It's, a, it's amazing how he uses this authority to just command people to, to leave their lives uh, that they had established. It's amazing how he heals people. But there's also something else that we should take out of this. And the thing that we need to take out is the question of, well, what's next for me? How does this apply to me? What, what do I need to, to think about as I am a follower of Jesus? Or even as I'm someone who's searching to understand who Jesus was and, and what his message could mean for me. Last week when we were going through, we looked at sort of the why of following Jesus. We talked about how we should be compelled by the message and, and how that message can be transformative in our lives. And we're going to look at that again in a moment. But where we're really going to spend the bulk of our time this morning is looking at the what of this message and what Jesus came to say and to lead his followers in. Over the coming weeks, we're going to get to the how to do that, particularly as we look at the Sermon on the Mount and what it looks like for God's kingdom in heaven to come down on earth and how we participate in that. But, but for now, we, we see a, a little picture of the, the what. What does it mean for us? What's it going to cost us to follow after Jesus? But again, I want us to look at the why of following Jesus. I mean, if... The disciples did come and go from following Jesus. There had to be a why that compelled them. There has to be a why for why you and I continue to follow Jesus. I mean, Jesus doesn't just ask us to follow him for a moment, a few days, a few months, but he calls us to a lifelong commitment to him. When Jesus invites his disciples, he says, hey, he doesn't say, hey, let's just go do this for an hour. He says, hey, give up what you have and come and follow me. And so why Jesus is a really important message. Of course, as we looked at last week, Matthew is trying to get us to understand the big framework of who Jesus is, and, and he's trying to get us to understand through all of the, the text thus far that, that Jesus is both God and man, and he's also the king who will establish God's kingdom here on earth. And we want, he wants us to know as we go through the, this book, remember this was meant to be originally read in one kind of sitting. We're breaking it down piece by piece because there's so much good to pull out of it. But he, if we sat down in one sitting, we'd see how ultimately what's happening is Matthew's telling us, hey, you need to be a part of this kingdom because right now you're not. And there's only one way to come into the kingdom and that's through Jesus. When we talk about this idea of repentance and, and asking for forgiveness for what we've done and going in a different direction, sort of doing a 180 from the life lived to the life that should be lived, that's how we enter into the kingdom of God. And here we're getting this setup of seeing what is going to happen, that Jesus has come and he's established not just this message of something that needs to be done, but the authority that he has in it. We know, of course, as we look at Scripture, that we are all rebellious, sinful people. We've all gone against the way of God. We've all been people who are a part of a different kingdom instead of his kingdom. And God is perfect and is just, has looked down at that and said, hey, there has to be a consequence. 
God is, is perfect in his justice. And he says, hey, because of that action, there's this consequence. And this consequence is death and eternal separation from me. Because the actions that are taking place on earth aren't just for a fleeting moment, but they're for eternity. But God, as much as he is perfectly just, is perfectly loving, perfectly gracious, perfectly merciful. And so he comes down as a judge who hands out a fine to be the one who pays the fine on someone else's behalf. And so Jesus came and he said, there is a consequence to this and there has to be repentance, but I'm going to pave the way so that you can easily pay the price that needs to be paid because it's already going to be paid. And so Jesus, he lives the perfect life that we could not live. He dies on the cross so that the debt has been paid, but then he rises again so the power of sin and death is broken so that all we must do is acknowledge where we have gone wrong, ask for forgiveness, and turn to follow him. And what's incredible about Jesus is he doesn't just tell us that. I mean, if any teacher came and and told you that, you'd go, well, why should I believe you? Well, verses 23 to 25 give us the proof of that. I mean, he comes and he teaches with authority, so so people are amazed. He, He heals every kind of disease and sickness that's amongst the people. For the skeptics of us who go, well, how do we know that actually happened and that really had an impact? Well, we can see that people came from all these different nations and areas to come and meet Jesus' encounter. And we're told that the people with different afflictions and diseases are brought to him to be healed and he continues to heal them. Let's be honest, if we look at the disciples, we can see there's got to be something compelling because these guys give up their lives and their livelihood. To follow Jesus. So why do we follow Jesus? Well, we follow Jesus because he is the king of the kingdom of heaven. And he tells us that the only way to come into his kingdom, to experience his love, his grace, his mercy on the daily, is to repent and come in. And he's the only one who has the power to really deal with evil and wrong in this world. And so that's the why that drives us as we consider the what. What will it cost? I mean, there's no doubt in looking at this passage that there was an incredible cost for Jesus' first disciples. I think sometimes it's easy for us to to sort of sugarcoat this or have an idealized version. You know, it's easy for me to think about, well, if I was in a boat and Jesus said, hey, come follow me, well, I I hate fishing. So, you know, I'm out and I'm going to go with them. No problem. For some, sometimes when I think about it, I almost picture like it's Frodo in the Shire and the guy's just desperate for an adventure. And so when Gandalf shows up, he's like, all right, I'm out of here, Shire. Let's go, Gandalf. But the reality is that's not the level of cost that we're dealing with. It's not some wet clothes from jumping out of a fishing boat. It's not just leaving behind a boring town. These men had to give up their lives, their families, and their livelihood. For these guys to stop in the middle of their workday and say, hey, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus instead of going and collecting my paycheck and getting everything together meant that they sacrificed something financially. We see with James and John and, and, and what we understand is probable that they had these boats. They're, they're not just leaving a day's work, but they're leaving behind assets that were valuable. 
This is a big cost for them to follow Jesus. But then not only are they leaving behind a little bit of money or maybe a lot of money, but they leave behind their families. And in, in first century Jewish culture, family was almost everything. And we know that the family is there and present. I mean, when we see that Jesus comes up to, to James and John, we, we see in verse 21 that they were in the boat with their father. So along comes Jesus, and not only do they say, hey, we're skipping out of work, but they say, hey, Dad, there's something better. There's something more important that we need to go and accomplish. And so when there's this call of Jesus, we see, and the Bible doesn't sugarcoat it, there is a, there's a cost, and it's real. And that's why that why is important. The decisions that we make when we choose to follow Jesus will have some level of cost. For these disciples, the question that faced them is, am I going to hold on to my fishing net or am I going to hold on to what Jesus promises and delivers? And that question is true for us today. While we might not be fishermen with real nets, we all have a net that we hold on to. And we all face the question of, am I going to hold on to that net that security, that thing I know, that thing that I love? Or are we going to give it up and surrender so that we can follow Jesus, so that we can pursue what he wants for us, so we can participate in the mission that he calls us for? For some of us, you're being invited by God to give up the net of how you have lived your life to this point. For some of us, the net is just our lives as it is because we have never taken the opportunity to, to get to know Jesus, to follow after him. And so we say, hey, this is my life and I like it. But Jesus says, that's your life, but that light has a destination. There is consequences for living it without me. Do not be misunderstood. Do, don't hear me wrong. There is a consequence, Jesus says. And so you're in the kingdom of heaven or you're not. And so at the end of your days of holding that net, you're going to let it go and you're either going to be with God or you're not. But the good news of Jesus is he doesn't just say, hey, it's this or this, but he provides the way forward. He says, when you let go of that net, I've got an even better one waiting for you. If you would turn and you'd ask for forgiveness, if you would follow me, I will embrace you. I will bring you into my family. I will bring you into my kingdom. And I will give you a good purpose for your life for now until eternity. For others of us, our net is the comfort and safety of living maybe not a duplicitous life, but a life of where we're only willing to go so far with Jesus. For a lot of us, we're willing to say, hey, I'm going to go to Jesus sometimes, and sometimes I'm just going to live my old life. And we go back and forth and back and forth to the place where we're comfortable, or we don't feel any sort of stretching in one regard or the other. You know, maybe you are a, a Christian, and, and you say, yeah, I've got this relationship, but that relationship only has permission to be in this half of my life. Well, Jesus says, I didn't come for a part of you, I came for all of you. I didn't design you to, to do one little thing for me, but I designed you for a purpose of a life of following me. For some of us, we have to 
recognize that there is a cost and Jesus calls us to pay it all to follow him. Perhaps you're at a place in your life right now where you need to repent of living in the comfort and go out into the call. Not all of us are going to be asked to give up our jobs. Some of us are going to be called to, to fish for people for God's kingdom right where we are in our workplace. Not all of us are going to be called overseas. We're going to be called to the community where we live and God's going to say, this is where I want you and I want you to bring my message to the people around you. Some of us will get that call. And if we get that call to leave what we're doing now and to go somewhere else, the best thing that we have before us is to give up the comfort, give up the, the, the peace and security that we have here, to go travel with him, to go to the place to reach those who are yet unreached. And we need to lean into that. So the question is, will you... Let go of your net of security, of comfort, of complacency to grab a hold of the net of the mission that God has called you to. The th but there's a third kind of net, and it's not explicitly stated within the text, but I think we can, we can get there with quite some ease in seeing how we are here as the established church. These guys were the first followers, and now we're the followers down the line where many fish have been caught and brought into God's kingdom. And the temptation, as, as Pastor Evie Hill once said, the temptation is to become keepers of the aquarium instead of fishers of men. Do you hold on to the net of being a keeper of God's aquarium or do you continue to be a fisher of men? The keepers of God's aquarium are the, those of us who look at the church and we love the church and we spend all of our time at the church and, and there's value there. Don't hear me saying that we're not called to care for and love the church. Don't hear me saying that we're not called to use our spiritual gifts to build up the body because scripture tells us that we are called to do that. But Jesus also says, I want you to go be a fisher of men. We can't live our entire lives inside the safety of church and Christian community. There might be seasons of that. There may be some of us who are called to spend more time there than outside of the world. But, but all of us are called to go out into the world to bring people in to the kingdom of God. So what's your net? What net are you holding on to that Jesus is calling you to let go of? What net, when you surrender, will allow you to go on mission with Jesus to see the incredible power of his in display through your life? What net, when you let go of, will allow Jesus' message to spread more and more throughout the earth to bring God glory? What net do you have to give up today? Heavenly Father, we thank you for a purpose, for a plan. Jesus, we thank you for your example. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are with us and you are prepared to illuminate what nets exist within our lives that we need to surrender to embrace you more fully. God, I pray that for everyone who's listening now, would they 
be, would they come to a place where they see how wonderful you are? Jesus, would they recognize the sacrifice that you have made for them? And, and would they know the, the desire you have for them to go out into the world and to make a difference in your name? And, and God, for every one of us, would we grab a, so much a hold of that that we would be compelled to go out into our world and make a difference? God, as I have been praying for our church, would we become a people who are broken by the state of the fact that there are people all around us who do not know you? And would we give up what little things we are holding on to and and big things we're holding on to to grab on to something even bigger, which is the net of your love and your grace and your mercy and your power. And would we carry that out into the world to lovingly fish for people who you have brought into our community? And would we see them come into your kingdom? And God, would that give us room to celebrate? Would that allow us to be freed up from just looking at the cost and wrestling with it to celebrating what we get to participate in when we let go of that which is worth so much less than you? Heavenly Father, would you make it crystal clear in every one of our minds what we need to surrender to embrace you more fully? And as we let go of that, would we be prepared to experience more and more of who you are? God, we know you are prepared to meet us exactly where we are because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And God, we know the fullness of your kingdom is not yet here, but we look forward to the day where it's fully established. And God, we want to participate. We want to pave the way. We want to prepare the way for what you are doing. And God, I thank you that you invite us on mission. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are active in the world and that you choose us and use us. And God, I pray that you would be glorified through us. And so we thank you for this challenge. Lead us in where we need to go today. I pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.